welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode three of the Matt Bernier Show. This is for the date of February the 24th, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. If you're over on YouTube, please subscribe to the In The Money Media Network channel and make sure that bell icon is lit up so you get everything that In The Money has to offer as far as visuals are concerned. Uh, if you don't listen to it on YouTube, you can go over to inthemoneypodcast.com, listen to it right there in the blog post that PTF typically puts up. And if you're like a lot of other folks and you just listen sort of the the standard ways, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you get your podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to all of us, uh, obviously me for this show, but everyone involved with all the other programming over on the In The Money Media Network. Again, uh, this is the show for February the 24th. We'll do a little bit of a, a, a review going back to last week's Southwest Stakes at Oakland Park. That happened on Monday. I was recording in the afternoon. And the race went off later on that afternoon. So I'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, we'll kick things off, though, taking a look ahead to what actually is going to come Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, depending on where you're going to be set up here in the United States. Or if you're listening internationally, I have no idea what time that's going to work out for you. But is the inaugural Saudi Cup over in Saudi Arabia, I believe $20 million of the purse. I'll do a quick little look through the field uh, and offer up some odds. Uh, friends over at Odds Checker, you can go and, and take a look and see what some of the European markets look like. And I'll look at the Betfair prices available for some of these runners. It looks like really this is a top to bottom unbelievably loaded race you're gonna need a little bit of everything uh, so really looking forward to that we'll dive into that we'll go over that southwest recap for a little bit uh, and then we'll wrap things up with a little bit of the Q&A I liked how that went in that last episode uh, if you haven't heard that please go back and do so there's two episodes up already so uh, if you're curious if you're new to this thing and you want to get back involved and up to speed uh, please go back and check out those archived shows the Q&A, we'll talk about uh, something that one of the uh, viewers over on YouTube has has brought up. And also, uh, I said last week I would start kind of tracking the public selections. There weren't a ton of them last week. I only made five picks because I was gone this past weekend. And, you know, just from a racing standpoint, I'm, I'm trying to get a few things ironed out. So uh, only five picks last week. Guess what? Not great. But I'll go over those and, and sort of give you an idea of what that's going to look like going forward, uh, along with any picks I give on on. TVG or NBC or if any other ventures uh, ultimately come to fruition, those will be included as well. So uh, that's what's on tap for this episode. Let's dive right into it. Let's take a look at the inaugural Saudi Cup over in Saudi Arabia. I'm not going to get into all the details timing-wise when the race is going to go off because, again, depending on where you are, it could be completely different, whether you're East Coast, West Coast, the United States, or Canada. Uh, if you're listening somewhere else, if you're in Europe, it'll be a different time. Obviously, the Middle East, it'll be local time. I have no idea when the race is going to go off for you. I'll leave that up to you to find out when you actually need to tune in and where you need to tune in in order to find this race. As far as some of the runners are concerned, uh, the field has not been drawn. I I'm working off of essentially a list of probables. Uh, this list came recently from Horse Racing Nation. Uh, so perhaps things have changed. Perhaps this is going to be the field that we see. Uh, and as I alluded to at the top, I'm going to pull some of the odds anyway that I'm seeing right now over on Odds Checker. Uh, but specifically from Betfair and what they are offering up uh, for some of these runners. And you'll note that it feels very much like it's kind of a split 50-50 group as far as us in the United States are concerned, where about half the field seems like it's our runners and half our international types. So um, I'm just going to kind of take them. It, it's more or less an alphabetical order, offer you up some prices and just some thoughts on a few of the runners. And, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Either let me know on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt if you agree, disagree, 
anywhere in between on any of these horses or beneath the video player over on the YouTube page. Uh, ben Battle will be one of the first ones right now, last I saw anyway, on Betfair, being offered around 7-1. to one. Uh, He won the Al Maktoum Challenge Round 2 in his first try on dirt. This is a, a world-class runner on grass, and they decided to try him on the, on the dirt, and he took to it basically like a world-class horse would. Uh, he went out there, he traveled sweetly sitting just off of it. That's the beauty of a horse like this. He doesn't have to have the lead. Um, all things I've read about the track at this venue... Uh, that the kickback is sort of on the more minimal side. Uh, so perhaps that's going to play into the hooves of some of these horses trying dirt for the first time, whether it is a Ben Battle, who is not for the first time, but he's certainly predominantly a grass horse, a horse like Magic Wand, who she's obviously been nothing but a dirt horse, excuse me, a turf horse throughout her career. So perhaps that'll sort of help things out a little bit. Uh, the other interesting note about the Saudi Cup itself it's nine furlongs, a mile and an eighth compared to, let's say, the Breeders' Cup Classic or the Dubai World Cup. Mile and, mile and an eighth, and it's one turn, very similar to Belmont Park. So I think that's going to play into the favor of some of the other runners that we'll talk about momentarily. Ben Battle, the distance isn't an issue for him. I thought it was really impressive, that, that first try on dirt. And if he can replicate that, he's at least in with the chance. Uh, does he stack up against our dirt horses? Well, you know, we'll find out. You never know until they actually go and run the race. But it was a promising enough first try on dirt for the connections when you didn't know what you were going to get. You knew he was an all-star racehorse. And now he's proven that he can do a little bit of a different sort of game. He can he can run on dirt just as well as he can run on turf. So uh, Ben Battle, a little bit interesting at 7-1. to one. Capizano, another horse based over in Dubai. Uh, he's listed at 6-1 to one right now. I believe Mike Joyce and I were on TVG on the morning line when we saw him come back and win the fire break in just blowout fashion. He looked fantastic. Um, he's the kind of horse that he has a little bit of a versatile running style, but, but frankly, he wants to be more forward. Uh, he has shown in the past that he can run from a little bit off of it, but he is much better when they just let him go. And that kind of plays into what I think is a relatively common theme in this field. Many of these horses, they want to go. And again, not really a surprise. It's a dirt track. Dirt racing, typically speed does well. You want to be more forward than trying to rally from off of it. But this race seems to have a fair amount of early gas. So I'll be curious to see how some of the riders choose to sort of plot their course going forward in a spot like this. Capizano, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If he is up there relatively close to the front, I, I maybe he does have the kind of early gas to clear off to the front. But boy, there are some other really fast horses early on. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what sort of running style we get from him at six to one as far as the Betfair odds currently are concerned. And in I'm I'm only speaking in Betfair terms, Betfair odds, what's being offered overseas. I have no idea how the, the commingling of pools is gonna work. I don't know what it's gonna look like for us in the United States from a wagering standpoint. This whole thing is kind of new for me. So it's new for all of us. This has never happened before. So uh, we'll see what happens. But Capizano at six. I think I'd be more intrigued with a couple of the other runners based on the prices that are being offered currently. Uh, move on to Chryso Barrel, who for me is probably the most intriguing horse in the entire race. I feel like we know what many of our American horses are. We know what many of the horses that are based in Dubai are, and we've seen we've seen Aiden O'Brien's horse and Magic Wand. We know what a lot of these horses are. Chryso Barrel, for many folks here in the United States, may not know who he is or what he's all about. But he's done nothing wrong. I believe he's a perfect six for six. And his sort of crowning achievement so far has been the Champions Cup, which he won last year, last December at Chukyo. He is a big horse. Down on the inside, saved a ton of ground throughout. It was really, when you look at it, it's sort of your prototypical perfect trip. 
But when he angled out into the clear, he needed to split horses, and there was another rival in that race in Gold Dream who he'll run against on Saturday over in Saudi America, Saudi America, Saudi Arabia. When he was able to finally get off the rail and split horses, I thought Chrysler Barrel really leveled off and finished with, I'm going to say the final margin of victory of roughly a neck. I'm going to say it was a little bit deceiving because Gold Dream had the jump on him. And the fact that Chrysler Barrel was able to really extend and level off as impressively as he did, I think he could kind of be anything. Um, I'll be very curious to see where he's positioned in a run like this, given the pace situation, where it's probably going to be quite fast compared to what he's used to. Not that he's been facing seemingly slowish sort of paces in Japan. He's running some big races. I mean, we're dealing with world-class speed here at these sort of middle distances and longer distances. So I'm not sure where he's going to be positioned early on. So much will come down to the to the draw. We'll find out where all these horses are going to line up either Tuesday or Wednesday. But I'm going to be really interested, and especially at 12 to 1 odds being offered on Betfair. To me, Chrysler Barrel feels like a little bit, if you're looking for a gamble and you want to take a face that, you know what, maybe I don't want to settle on on 2 to 1 or 3 to 2 on one of our American horses, and even maybe some of our other American horses that are in the 5 or 6 to 1 range. Maybe if you want to take a shot on a horse like Chrysler Barrel, who may be up into the high single digits, low double digits odds, maybe he's the one that you want to go with. To me, he's the most interesting horse in the race, period. Uh, but from a gambling standpoint, he may also be a little bit intriguing. I don't know if he's going to class up to our American runners or the other international runners that are going to be going. But to me, he's at least a little bit interesting in a spot like this. Uh, great Scott. He looks like he's a little bit tough to make on paper. He's up against it class-wise. Uh, from what I looked at with his PPs, he was more of sort of a, a middle group two, group three type on turf over in Europe. He's going to try the dirt for the first time for me. Uh, he's 50 to 1 offered on, on Betfair for me. He's just kind of a pass. Doesn't really do anything for me. Gronkowski. I've seen some different things about Gronkowski. Is he going to run? Is he not going to run? I, I don't I don't know. Again, we'll find out when they actually draw the field and uh, draw the race. 33 to 1 is being offered up at. We know Gronk on his best. Uh, he can come with a big run. He ran second in the Belmont Stakes. He ran second in the Dubai World Cup a couple years ago. Um, he, he tried to rally. Uh, I believe that was in the race against Ben Battle in that most recent run. And he was fine, but he was no match for Ben Battle. And you would need to hope that if he's going to step up here in a big, big way, he's going to need to take a giant step forward here. I also wonder with a horse like Gronkowski, I feel like distance is always going to be his friend. So maybe this nine furlongs, a little bit on the sharper side for him, as opposed to perhaps some of the other runners. Gold Dream, I, I touched on briefly in that he ran against Chryso Barrel and was no match. Um, and I don't want to say no match. He only was beaten by, you know, a neck. But given the way that Chryso Barrel was able to extend once finally in the clear, out from behind the runner that he was chasing, I believe it was Inti who was out there cutting out fractions, Gold Dream just couldn't quite run with Chryso Barrel at the end. I feel like Chryso Barrel is sort of the up-and-comer. Um, Having said that, 33 to 1, if you're so inclined to take on a horse like Gold Dream, fire away. I, I just, I have a hard, I, I, I'm going to be surprised if the tables are turned. Just heads up between those two. I don't know how they're going to run, but I would still lean toward Chryso Barrel of the two Japanese runners in a spot like this. And Magic Wand for Aiden O'Brien. Again, she's a world traveler. She's got first class points all over the joint. You know what she's capable of on her best day. Question is, what are we going to get from her on dirt? The fact that O'Brien wants to give it a go? Look, there's a lot of cash on the line. You might as well take a shot and see in a spot like this. 20 to 1 being offered over on Betfair at the moment. Um, she's hard not to like as far as a racehorse is concerned. I just don't know. Even at 20, you can make the case that she is one of the classiest horses in the field, if not the class of the field. 
I just don't know if I need to find out first time on dirt against the caliber of dirt runners I think are in this race, whether she can or can't do it. Uh, so for me, Magic Wand would probably be a little bit of a pass. But boy, it'd be an unbelievable story if she were the one to win this first run. She's not the only filly in the race, though. Now some of the more familiar names that we here in the United States are accustomed to seeing as far as our dirt races are concerned. They're scheduled to go in the Saudi Cup on Saturday. We kick things off with Maximum Security, who is kind of a co-favorite. He might actually be the outright favorite in whatever pools you're going to be looking at. Um, look, we know on his best day, he is capable of putting up a, a pretty big race. I thought his run in the Cigar Mile was spectacular. Beat a nice horse and spun to run. Um, the distance isn't an issue. Won the Haskell at a mile and an eighth. Finished first across the wire in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, the talent has never been a question for maximum security. He really has done nothing wrong throughout his career on the racetrack. Uh, he's very, very talented. Again, it just for me, it boils down to, do you think first time really stepping up against older horses? And I know I know the Cigar Mile was against older horses. And I know even that 7-8 race at Belmont Park was against older horses. But older horses of this caliber, we're talking the cream of the crop. Are you prepared to take a very, very short price on him? If you are, go right ahead. I'm not suggesting he can't do it. But from a value standpoint, I think you as, as the gambler, you need to make the call. Do you think he is prepared to step up and run with a horse like McKinsey? Who McKinsey, on his best day, can fire a giant, giant shot. We saw that in the Whitney. We saw that in the Met Mile. The Met Mile, arguably, was his best race of the year. And he was a little bit unlucky. I thought the race was... I thought basically the, the trouble was sort of overblown. I thought you needed to be down on the inside. He was down there for the entirety of it. I know he had to steady and wait, 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 and he finally got through and just came with a giant, giant flurry at the end. But to me, that's that's really the what, what it boils down to with a horse like Maximum Security. Do you think he is prepared to take on a horse like McKenzie, put a horse like McKenzie away, put all the other horses that I've already spoken about away, and then deal with a horse like, I don't know, Mucho Gusto or Midnight Bisu or someone else. You know, I mean, there's a lot being thrown at a horse like Maximum Security in a spot like at a short price. McKinsey's at least shown that he can take on older horses. He can take on world travelers and run very, very credibly and very well. Thought his run in the Breeders' Cup Classic was really strong. Couldn't get the job done, but it was still a very, very credible second place finish. Maximum Security, he might be the most talented horse in this race. Ultimately, you're the one that needs to make the call. If the prices that I'm being seen, that I'm seeing over uh, on Betfair, 11 to four for both Maximum Security and McKinsey, they are the two shortest prices out there right now. If I just needed to make a call, one or the other, at odds of 11 to four, I would go with McKinsey. That's just me. I've always felt he's better at these slightly shorter distances, a mile, nine furlongs, as opposed to out to 10. The one turn doesn't bother me because I thought he ran just so well in that Met Mile. Um, and obviously, one turn's not a problem for maximum security either. We saw that in Scar Mile. We've seen that in some of the other races that he's run throughout his career. So uh, they're both intriguing runners. When I speak about one turn horses, though, the one in this entire field that I feel most confident that this is her best game. I don't know if she's good enough to win a race like this. I don't know if she's at her best as far as her form is concerned. I, I, I don't, there are many unknowns. What I feel very confident in myself, and I'm curious again, agree or disagree, let me know on Twitter at Bernie underscore Matt or in the comment section below. Midnight Bisu to me has always been at her best going one turn. And that just shows, in my opinion, how really 
quality and talented she actually is that she's able to do what she is going longer distances going two turns one turn mile and an eighth to me for midnight bisu that may be actually might be the difference maker for me where i look at it of our domestic horses i'm seeing 10 to 1 right now on her and of all the horses that we know what they're capable of and yes midnight bisu is probably a, a bit slow compared to some of them but the one-turn configuration, in my opinion, I think three of her best races ever have come going one turn. Uh, going back to her three-year-old campaign, the Santa Inez out at Santa Anita, she just destroyed that field. And I, again, I, I understand we're dealing with young three-year-old fillies at that point compared to world-class older horses, male, female, you name it. Her Santa Inez was awesome. She romped in the Mother Goose, a one-turn mile in 16th at Belmont Park. And then last year on Belmont Stakes Day, uh, you could make the argument that her effort was the performance of the day in the Ogden Phipps, going a one-turn mile and an eighth. I think the one-turn configuration for Midnight Bisu is her bread and butter. She's exceptional overall, but I think her game is taken to another level going one turn. I don't know that I can say that the same about many of the other runners in this race. And maybe even if, you, if you're of the opinion that perhaps there's a slight difference as far as overall ability, and that maybe Midnight is just a hair below you know, a maximum security or a McKinsey. And maybe those two are the bad ones to use as an example. Let, how about we go with, with Chryso Barrel or Gronkowski or any of those types who it feels like they're going to go and they want to run as long as possible, a mile and a quarter, Gronkowski a mile and a half even. I, I don't have any concerns with the one-turn configuration that we're going to get the best out of Midnight Bisu. I do wonder a little bit about, you know, those two other horses I just spoke of where they typically, they want as much ground as they can get and going as long as they want. Midnight, I know that the, the one turn is, is right in her wheelhouse. Is she good enough? We'll find out. But at 10 to 1, the odds that are being offered, she's probably the most intriguing to me of the United States-based runners. Don't know that I'm, I, again, I'm probably more intrigued with a horse like Chryso Barrel, but I, I just feel like this is a the perfect storm for Midnight Bisou in a spot like this. Uh, my Jack or Majack, 50 to 1 being offered on class seems way up against it, especially against a group like this. I'm not going to spend much time there. The horse wins. I'll tip my cap and say, you know, crazier things have happened. Uh, Mucho Gusto, he took his game to that next level, winning the Pegasus World Cup down at Gulfstream. Uh, and I like that he's showing that, that ability to just sit off of a target. He's another one. I don't really feel like the one turn is going to be an issue for him. Um, but I, I look at Mucho Gusto and I go, are you as good as your uncoupled stablemate in McKinsey? Are you as talented as Maximum Security? Are you as talented? You're certainly not as accomplished as Midnight Bisu. At seven to one, I suppose he's an intriguing alternative to what we know with some of the other American runners. But again, I just brought up the 10 to one on Midnight Bisu. I'm more interested in that than the seven to one on Mucho Gusto. Again, We'll find out if he is as talented as some of the cream of the crop. But boy, if that run down a Gulfstream is any indication, maybe he has taken that, that sort of next step. We always talk about, I feel like there are a few different points throughout the calendar year when horses take steps forward. You know, early on as a three-year-old, you can take a step forward. Then over the summer, I feel like you might get another little step forward. Then into the fall, you get one more little step as a three-year-old. And then that turnover to four, typically you get a forward move or you would hope, I shouldn't say typically, that sort of trajectory. And I would say right up until their sort of five-year-old campaign. And then at that point, it, it would seem rather unlikely you're going to get another forward move. Maybe this was the forward move for Mucho Gusto. And now he has just sort of reached 
that top of the top of the class where he is, you know what? We say what you want about all these other runners. Maybe he's one that sits there and says, look at me. I, I just buried nice horses down in Florida. Why can't I do it out here? North America is a, it might be, I, I don't want to say a wild card in a race like this, but he's the kind of horse that has wicked speed, wicked speed. And if he is sharp off that most recent run at the beginning of January, where he was defeated in the Al Maktoum Challenge round one uh, over at Maidan, if he's tighter, which presumably he is, and his speed is what we have seen in the past, he's going to make whoever else wants to go early on work for it. Because he, he is genuinely a fast horse. I know we compare our American speed to sort of Dubai speed or speed anywhere else. This horse is legitimately fast early on. At 25 to 1, I don't know that I necessarily want any part of him from a win standpoint. But I think he's going to be a critical piece to the, the complexion of the race. Because I think they have one way to go with him. And if you think he goes, if you think Capizano goes... I think Maximum Security and McKinsey are going to be relatively close. McKinsey's probably going to be a little bit farther off of it. But if Maximum Security goes, if Mucho Gusto goes, I mean, you, you're dealing with a number of horses that want to be forwardly placed and be prominent throughout. And North America might be the head of the class. Uh, I, again, I, I don't know that I want any part of him. He's 25 to 1 being offered on Betfair. I don't know if I want any part of him as far as a, a win contender is concerned. But from the complexion of the race, I think he could arguably be the key to this entire thing. And the last horse I'm seeing listed is Tacitus, who is, again, a, a United States-based runner. Look, you know, he's, he's felt like sort of the teaser. Feels like every year in every crop of three-year-olds, there's a teaser. There's a horse that, oh, you know, he feels like he could be this, could be this. Well, more often than not, they never get there. Tacitus is kind of feeling like that to me. Now, maybe he'll take a big step forward here as a four-year-old. I just, I have genuinely don't know what to expect from him. Maybe he's just not that good, or maybe he finally lives up to the hype and lives up to the expectations, and he takes that step forward here on Saturday in a big, big way and stamps himself as the horse to beat in 2020 in the United States. We'll find out. He's being offered a 25-1. to 1. I have no idea what to expect from Tacitus. So this inaugural Saudi Cup is really interesting from a race standpoint. You have uh, a number of different running styles. You have got world-class runners from all across the world. And, uh, you know, you can make the case that there's there's value to be had in races like this. There's no, no shortage of speed. It's a one-turn configuration at nine furlongs, which I think is definitely an intriguing piece, which we're not accustomed to seeing in some of the biggest races. We know about Dubai uh, with the World Cup. We know about the Breeders' Cup Classic. We know about the Kentucky Derby. You know, these races are, those three that I just rattled off, they're 10 furlongs. Two turns, 10 furlongs. When was the last time you saw a world-class field like this put together a one-turn mile and an eighth on a track that no one's ever run on? I, I think it's just a, good, a really interesting race, and we'll see how it all shapes up. Just based on prices, I, I'd probably be leaning toward Chryso Barrel and, and Midnight Bisu at, at 12 and 10 to 1, respectively. Um, I, you know, Chryso Barrel, to me, is the most intriguing horse in the race, period. Don't know if he's good enough. I can say the same for Midnight Bisu. I know what she can do. I, perhaps she's a, a notch or two below the fastest horses in the race, but I just think that this configuration, this sets up for her. And again, if they, if they do throw it down speed-wise early on, maybe she sits in that next flight and she could take advantage. We'll find out. There's quality top to bottom in this race, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the whole thing shakes out.
Let's rewind a little bit to last Monday, President's Day. Big race down at Oaklawn Park. That would have been the Southwest Stakes for three-year-olds. There were derby points on the line. Only 10 to the winner, but I think it's an important race going forward because you had a few performances that really stuck out to me that, that could potentially lead to bigger things down the road, whether it's the Arkansas Derby, whether it's the Rebel before that, whether it's somewhere out of town. I think the top three runners all warrant some some time, at least to, to go back and consider what they did. Uh, Silver Prospector for Steve Asmussen gets the job done. This is a horse that was probably compromised by the pace situation in his most recent run down at Oaklawn. He comes back this time around. He is much closer to the pace. I thought all in all it was a perfect trip, but... Give credit where credit is due. This horse showed the ability to stay closer to the front end, a pace that Timeform US didn't color coat red. But when you just look at the raw fractions, it was definitely on the quicker side. Might not have been outright fast, but I think it was on the quicker side. And the fact that Silver Prospector was able to get up into the run a little bit earlier, sort of procure that nice down-on-the-rail position, able to tip out, turn him for home. When Ricardo Santana asked him to do so, and he goes on and gets the job done very, very professionally, galloped out well. I liked everything about the race. Um, a 97 buyer speed figure, a 118 raw time form U.S. rating. The race came back fast. And at this point in the season, that to me is critical. This is potentially a race that we could be going back and circling, saying this is when the three-year-olds down in Arkansas really asserted themselves as legitimate threats for the Kentucky Derby. Now, obviously, you need to continue to either maintain this form A or improve upon it. But in recent memory, if you can get something close to a 100 buyer, you're probably going to be right there for the Kentucky Derby. And the fact that these horses, the top two in Silver Prospector and Wells Bayou, they're they're both right there, and this was the third week in February. I think that's a positive sign for the connections and for these horses. Again, you need to continue on this sort of progress and this progression going forward. But but the point is, the fact that you've run this fast this early, that says a lot to me. Silver Prospector, an impressive win here. Uh, the runner-up, I think, ran equally as well. Wells Bayou. Uh, it just, you want to talk about a nice ride from Florent Giroux. A number of people pointed that out over the weekend, and I agree. Being very assertive, being aggressive early on. Use your speed to your advantage. Don't let others into the run. Don't try to get too cute. Just go if you think you're on a good horse and you've got speed as a weapon. He did that with Wells Bayou. Goes forward. Uh, the horse earns a 96 buyer and a 117 raw time form US rating. He set legitimate fractions. They were a shade under 47 seconds for a half mile. And I like the way that this horse looked out there on the front end. Finished very gamely. Could have easily packed it in when Silver Prospector was going by. Didn't. Still stayed on. Finished determinedly. Thought all in all, it was a really impressive effort. The concern I have is, or I, it's a concern, but it's for me, it's more just observationally what we need to see or what I need to see from this horse going forward. So far in all of his races, he has been out there on the front end. Does he have the ability, does he have the dimension to sort of switch off come to hand, sit off of a target, and be as impressive as he was in this most recent run? Or is he a one-way speed? And if that's the case, then obviously your life's going to get a lot more difficult going forward. But I like that he, he fought the way that he did. And again, in, in a situation where perhaps the pace is a little bit more moderate, perhaps he can kind of carry that a little bit farther. Maybe, maybe he can kind of turn the tables on some of these runners. Again, I want to see if he is a one-dimensional type. Is he just a speedball? And if he is, obviously, you got to sort of knock him down a few pegs. But if he can eventually show the ability to sit off of a target and be as effective as he is out on the front end, Wells Bayou, definitely an interesting runner. That horse was trained by Brad Cox, as was the third place finisher in Answer In. Answer In going into the race, 
I, I looked at it and said, you know, one of the picks that I put out there publicly was shoplifted given his price. And yes, he had the better of it in that run in the springboard mile at Remington as opposed to answer in. But I didn't think there should have been such a chasm in price. I believe Answerin was 7 to 5 or 8 to 5, and Shoplifted was 10 to 1. Shoplifted was no match for the top three, not even remotely close. He finished fourth. Uh, but from a number standpoint and odds and percentages, I just felt like Shoplifted was a better move than Answerin. Having said that, watching the race, I really thought this was a solid effort from Answerin. And I'm sure a lot of people will look at this and hear me say this and think, well, he got super drifty down the lane and, and he was no match for either of the top two. What is there to really like? Well, he broke from a far outside draw. This was his first start since the middle of December, so probably a little bit of rust. No bargain with that outside draw. Hung about six wide going down the, the front first turn. About four or five path down the backside. Three or four path rounding the far turn when he tries to get into it and tries to start pushing things on the front. Starts to feel, the I think, the effects of the layoff and carrying as much more ground as he did as opposed to the top two runners who were both down on the inside throughout. Uh, Javier hits him left-handed. He pops to his left lead. He drifts down. He drifts back out. I thought this was a good effort, a good starting off point. Now, look, the horse has got to run faster, an 87 buyer speed figure in a 109 raw time form U.S. rating. Not any sort of real move from his two-year-old campaign to this race. Having said that, again, I think he has those built-in excuses where he needed the race. I think it'll be a tighter version next time around. I already have him in my stable watch. I think he's the kind of horse out of this race. The top two, you, you kind of understand. I wanted to see what happens with the answer in because this was an intriguing enough effort for me uh, with a horse that I wasn't totally sold on. But having seen this race, I think there's something to build on there for answer in. So there you have it. I'm not going to touch on the rest of the field. If you have any thoughts or questions or comments, whatever it may be, again, as always, at Bernie or underscore Matt on Twitter or beneath the video player on YouTube. Let's wrap up episode three with the pick history, which is what we'll call that going forward, as well as another Q&A session, because I thought that went really well last week, had a lot of good feedback. I'd like to make this sort of a, a standby for all of these, these pods going forward. With the picks, last week was going to be a difficult week for me anyway, because I was on the road uh, this past weekend, so I didn't do a deep dive into any of the racing. Uh, but I wanted to have some picks out there. And for those of you that are unfamiliar, or you, maybe you missed last week's show, um, first things first, you can go back and listen to it if you want. But the idea is uh, I'm going to start tracking because someone brought up the idea of that in the first episode, in the first Q&A, of tracking public picks. So whether it's the picks I make on TVG when I'm over there, whether it's the picks later on this year on NBC, uh, whether it's stuff, if uh, a writing sort of situation that I'm, I'm working on comes together, I can put those out there uh, or simply just put on Twitter. If I throw a horse out there that I think has a chance or I like the odds or whatever the case may be, and I'll give out sort of the rationale behind it as well. I'll keep a running tally. I used to do this. I didn't tell anybody about this, but I did this when I was still working at Daily Racing Form. Whenever we would do a stakes preview or a race of the day, I would go through and track both my win ROI, my win percentage as well as my uh, win play show ROI and strike rate. Um, and the last year I was there and, and everything ended up being quite well, I actually broke even on the flat win rate on the win play show. It ended up being a little bit of a loss uh, because again, those are one of those things where ultimately the amount of money that you're betting in, let's just say again on $2 flat bets for the wins and then $2 across the board for a $6 investment uh, for the whips. You know, you got to 
even if you have some big prices that like to run second and third, which I feel like for me, my handicapping style, that's ultimately what a lot of these picks end up being. I can sniff out a good 15 to one shot that might not win the race, but can run third. Um, and as far as some of the shorter prices are concerned, I feel like I've gotten burned taking shorter prices in, in recent memory. So I'm still trying to work on what the best sort of, you know, what's the happy medium between looking at a race saying, you know what, I don't have any interest in trying to beat the favorite or looking at a race saying this horse is interesting for X, Y, and Z reasons. And hopefully we can either get a piece of this thing or obviously upset the entire apple cart. Having said that only put out five horses last weekend and over five. So not a great start. And guess what? Only one of them even hit the board. So this was a disaster to start things off. Uh, for those of you that were curious, or maybe you missed them. And when there's more data, I'll end up sort of putting out a screenshot of all of them going forward after the podcast come out. For right now, with there's only five pieces, I'll wait and see what we get this week. And then maybe at the beginning of next week, I can put out actually a screenshot and see where things are. Uh, two races from Oakland on Monday. I still don't know how Bankit didn't win uh, the race that Warriors Charge ended up rallying back and finishing as gamely as he did. I was counting my money with Bankit turning for home. He went off at four to one. Uh, he finished second in there. So if you're looking at it from a win play show standpoint, if you put $2 across the board, $6 invested, it returned $9.40 for the place and show money. Unfortunately, I went with shoplifted in the Southwest. He ran a non-threatening fourth. Um, uh, a race at Tampa a few days later, I thought Nick can fix, who was a horse coming off of an extremely long layoff on paper. If he could run back to his prior races, I thought he was the most likely winner. The question was, boy, he had never been gone that long. Yes, he had fired well off of the bench in the past, but never uh, a layoff of that length. So ultimately, I took a shot with him. He went off at a playable price at five to one. It didn't work out. He clearly either can't run anymore or that was nothing more than let's get a race and do him kind of shake the rust off. Uh, Gulfstream in Oakland a couple days later, I uh, played two more horses. One was my Sarasota star. I kind of laid it out on Twitter. I liked the idea. Horse looked like controlling speed on paper. Had the five or seven pound apprentice aboard. I can't remember uh, what Torres' situation is at this point. Horse breaks on top. I was hopeful he would just clear off and go right to the front. He did not. He was content to take up the three-wide tracking position uh, to sort of compound the issue. He ended up dropping the stick, turning for home. It is what it is. Who knows? The horse may not have fired had he made the front or not, but I, I still would have liked to have seen had he been able to establish that position. And then Lewis Vaporizer. Look, I, at Oakland, his game was speed. He was taking on tougher this time around. The price was right. I believe he went off at 3-1. to one. Uh, he made the front, and he just couldn't run with those horses. So I don't have a problem losing in that situation. Obviously not the start that I would have liked, uh, but a very, very small sample size. The good news is plenty of time to sort of rebound from there and more racing opportunities for me now to take a look at going forward and to continue to kind of just add to this this little, this little theory, this little test that we will do. And again, I will be honest with you and be forward, you know, checking things out for better or for worse, whether it makes me look good or bad. Uh, as far as this week's Q&A is concerned, uh, I thought this was an interesting little uh, piece here from uh, the viewer on YouTube, B Clark 1624 Thank you for the question and comment. Uh, the first piece, what horses are framed behind you? And I'm going to try to do my best as I look at my thing. He's talking about these two, and I say he, it could be he or she, I apologize. Um, these two pictures right here these happen to be photos of the two horses that i had future wagers on in back-to-back -back years some of you that may not be familiar with the story um leading into the horse players uh, tv show that we did a few years back it's been a number of years now uh the year prior is the year that i played in the nhc um 
that year was this horse up top here. This is all have another. I, I had him at 85 to one. Um, I liked him coming out. I believe it was the Bob Lewis in February. He looked really good, made a wager on him. He uh, connects at 85 to one. And then the following year when we were in Vegas for the NHC, I remember that I liked uh, the way that Orb broke his maiden at Aqueduct in the fall. He goes down to Gulfstream in an N1X. I'm there. This is actually a funny story. I'm there with three of my best friends. We are at, at the time of the event was held at Treasure Island. Now I believe it's, it's at Bally's. Orb is running that afternoon in an N1X race down at Gulfstream. I'm down there in the tournament room. All my buddies are in the sports book. They're betting on basketball because we all thought it was the best thing ever. I don't think any of us at the time had really ever gone west for any length of time, especially not at gambling age. We were all 23. They're down there in the sports book at 9 o'clock in the morning playing the the noon. I just remember Syracuse was playing at a noon tip. So those boys were all deep into that. And I shoot him a text and I go, can you run across the street at the time the win would offer future book odds? And Orb was 125 to 1. So I said, run across there, make the bet for me. I'll give you the cash back. They all said no. They said, do it on your own. And I said, you guys are just real peaches. And the folks I was sitting at the table with in the NHC, I didn't know any of them at the time. I said to them, I said, you know, I like this horse. He's running later on. He can't be, he's not going to be a tournament play because he's going to be too short a price. But, you know, I'm going to bet him to hopefully win the Derby. And going out for Suge, you always know if the horse doesn't run, Suge's not going to push the issue. Orb obviously goes out, wins. By the time we get over there later on that evening to the win sports book, he's bet down to 75 to 1. I make the bet. I say to my buddies, you know he's going to win this thing. Sure enough, he goes off and he wins the derby. I happened to be there. That was my first derby. That was when we were taping the show. Uh, and here we are now all these years later. So those are the two horses that are framed over here. Uh, I have one other framed horse picture that is somewhere in the house right now. Uh, we're uh, rearranging some things. That's why I got boxes over here. It's also part of the reason I have the camera tilted up the way that I do. Um, it's uh, my wife got me for my birthday a few years back, a framed picture of Jersey Town winning the Kelso at Belmont Park. And I've always said, if it's not, if it weren't for Jersey Town, none of this would have started. And I wouldn't have even, I, I wouldn't have gotten into tournaments. I wouldn't have gotten into any of it. I just remember being at Saratoga when he ran in the forego. MC won that day. He was down on the inside. It looked like Jersey Town was ready to fire. He was on a dead rail. Didn't work out. Comes back in the Kelso. It's a short field. It's a wet track. He's got Shackelford in there. And there's one other horse. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Shackelford despised a wet track. Jersey Town, I thought he was going to run well. I put in my bets in a contest earlier in the day. Go out and play golf. Look it up. Jersey Town wins for fun. And I believe 8-1. to one. And that... That win in that contest helped me get to the NHC, which helped me get to the TV show, which helped me get to Daily Racing Form and NBC, and here we are all these years later. So without Jersey Town, none of this stuff happens, and that's why he will always be my favorite horse for anyone that ever asks. So uh, there is one part of the question. The other part, and I'll be a little bit more brief with the explanation here, um, from this uh, from uh, B. Clark 1624, uh, could you possibly do a weekly top 10 of three-year-olds in your opinion? Uh, would find it interesting to see where you make adjustments on a weekly basis. Love that the show is back. Uh, again, thank you for the questions and the comments. Um, I tell you what, I will start doing that. I know a lot of people roll their eyes about top 10 lists and whatever the case may be. I don't know if I'll do a top 10 list or a top 5 list. 
I'm not going to do it starting today. I'll do it starting next weekend because obviously we're going to have the Fountain of Youth next Saturday night at Gulfstream. So things will shake up considerably. We'll have another horse that earns at least 50 points going into the uh, toward the starting gate for the first Saturday in May. So essentially someone else will punch their ticket to the Kentucky Derby. So following that, I'll throw together whether it's a top five or a top 10. We'll wait and see. And I will. I'll update it every week. It'll probably be in this sort of in the same time. So whenever there's a Q&A, if for some reason there's no questions or comments to, to kind of dive into, then so be it. It'll just be the, the three-year-old segment. Um, but it'll be at this point probably in the show all the time toward the back end. We'll throw it out there. We'll do top 10 or top five, whatever the case may be. So uh, thank you for the input. Anybody else, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, whatever it may be. If you want have something specific you want answered here beneath the YouTube player in the comment section or directly to me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. And that, my friends, is going to wrap up episode three of the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. Uh, I'll be back next Monday going over the Saudi Cup, going over the Fountain of Youth and anything else interesting that happens uh, and getting ready to head back out west because I'm going out to uh, L.A. for uh, a week's worth of uh, some TVG work next week. So looking forward to that. Until next Monday when I come back with another episode, good luck and best of luck. However you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play, this has been the Matt Bernier Show.